Hi everyone, you're listening to the UMA Financial Podcast. My name is Chad Kelly, and today I'm going to be speaking with Eric Halverson. We're going to be discussing how to protect yourself against fraudulent investments. Hope you enjoy. Eric, it's good to have you back on our podcast. Thanks for having me. It's yeah. great to be back. We're back at it again. Um, today we're going to talk about... Uh, something that most investors will come across at some point, at, on some level, um, in their careers, and that is fraudul- fraudulent investments. Everyone you might you may have experience uh, directly with someone who's offering a fraudulent investment, or you have a friend or family member who's been offered or been involved in these types of investments. But we want to talk a little today a little bit about how to recognize them. Some questions we should be asking to to make sure that we don't find ourselves in these situations. Uh, so today we'll we'll jump into it and talk a little bit about some common ones that we see here in Utah. We, we recently heard a presentation where some of these were highlighted, and we want to talk a little bit more about them. Uh, the first one we'll jump into is it's, it's kind of a general one, but the concept of promissory notes. This this is a popular one in Utah. In fact, seventy four percent of fraudulent cases in Utah involve promissory notes. So from what, what is a promissory note, I guess? Um, it's an offer or a, um, not really an offer, but a uh, commitment to pay. So for example, if you like a mortgage, except the lender is the, um, the um, individual being taken advantage of in this case. So let's say I want to place an investment with an individual and I give them ten thousand dollars. They promise to pay me back the ten thousand dollars plus interest. Yeah, that's kind of a simple definition or example of a promissory note. Yeah, often it comes in a written form. Um, you know, you lend me ten thousand dollars to start that taco truck business I've been hoping to start or whatever, right? I think you probably see this often with. I mean, at least we do as advisors see it often with um, parents and kids. Sure. It doesn't necessarily start out in a fraudulent way. I think most of these things we'll talk about, the intention typically isn't um, to defraud someone from the beginning, uh, but it, they evolve into that. And this could be a case of like a parent helping a child start a business and um, they hope to pay them back and there's some desire to pay back, but it may just not work out for them. Yeah, and ultimately... Both parties just kind of have to walk away from the business deal and say that was a bad experience, right? Yeah. Um, another popular uh, type of fraud that we see here in Utah, and this this is one that kind of comes and goes depending on the year, is is the oil and gas industry, and this I guess has a lot to do with or where oil prices are at. Here in Utah, we 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 do have the oil industry here. You know, it's particularly in parts of Utah the. Um, exploratory companies, I guess, looking for oil uh, reserves or whatnot. And these types of industries sometimes attract fraudulent activities as new businesses start up and try to get into the trade, I guess. It could also also be the fact that people's excitement is around the elevated price of oil. Yeah. So some of these people aren't, aren't actually even functioning a business. They just use the excitement around that industry to defraud people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then kind of the, the one that most people have heard about, Ponzi schemes. Ponzi schemes are, here in Utah, it seems that you hear these, you see these pop up from time to time. Uh, we, in Utah, sometimes have the bad reputation of harboring these Ponzi schemes. 
So I guess th to explain on the basic level what a Ponzi scheme is, it, it's an investment where you put your money into a, a pool or a, a group, an, a so-called business, and your return actually is coming from new contributions from new investors rather than the business itself. And so these businesses or Ponzi schemes are sold under the, the guise of fake businesses like flipping homes or um, payday loan companies or um, funny things like removing soil contaminants, things like this. Yeah, a common one that um, I believe it was a Ponzi scheme years ago, Bernie Madoff was um, a name that some people may recognize that uh, promised a, a rate of return and essentially they take new investors' money to pay off the previous investors. Yeah. Um, anytime you see like a fixed 15% or 12% or some kind of flat, even number that's paid quarter after quarter and year after year, your eyebrows should kind of stick up a little bit and do some kind of digging and testing to see how legitimate the business and the investments are because it's we all know investments involve risk and oftentimes don't produce the same return quarter after quarter and year after year. Yeah. You know, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about it, but often it seems like Ponzi schemes pop up in areas where there's a predominant religion or ethnicity group or, um, and you know, we certainly see that here in, in Utah. There's a predominant you know, race or religion and, um, Ponzi schemes, you know, they'll pop up in pockets, it seems like, amongst certain groups. Um, I think part of it has to do with trust. So some of these, um, a lot of fraud is driven off of trust and mistrust, honestly. Um, and sometimes you tend to trust people that are more similar to you. Uh, you seem to have more faith in those individuals. So um, Ponzi schemes do tend to revolve around a trusted relationship or a friend of a friend kind of scenario like oh my buddy has a buddy who has a buddy who they went to high school together and he's such a good guy and you could totally trust him yeah. you don't need to get any of this in writing or do any research he's just a good guy yeah. uh, anytime you hear that that's a problem should be a red flag yeah yeah so I guess that kind of leads us to our uh, our next one uh, affinity fraud so this this is based Exactly what you were saying. Affinity fraud is um, mistrust, and often it's associated with an affiliation like a religion or professions. Or um, It's even seen here in Utah that it's been investigated at certain um, groups with disabilities. Like uh, there, was a, there was a case that was being investigated in the deaf community, right, where um, someone was taking advantage of the trust of the community. And... So you, you find it in these weird little niches, it seems. That's one of the reasons why Utah Medical Association Financial Services exists. Even in professional communities, you can get people that target a specific group and kind of work their, themselves into gaining some level of trust and then kind of preying on the group as a whole. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's talk through, I guess, questions we should be asking as investors to make sure that we, we don't fall into these types of situations. Uh, the, the first easy one I guess we could ask, or you could ask as an investor uh, to wh whoever's offering you an investment is, are you licensed? 
Maybe explain a little bit what does it mean you know, if an advisor is licensed? There are, there are not a lot of barriers to entry to being a financial advisor. Many people will use titles such as financial consultant or wealth manager, wealth advisor, um, but they all in practice do things that are very similar and, and hard to distinguish from an investor's perspective. There are some barriers though that uh, require some exams and some basic level of knowledge or proficiency. And so it is important to ask when you're considering or looking into an investment um, if the person presenting the investment is licensed. And that could be licensed with the state of Utah or um, with an organization called FINRA or with um, uh, the Securities and Exchange Commission, which is a national kind of uh, regulatory body. So there are it would be important to ask someone if they're licensed to be able to provide this kind of advice. Yeah, yeah. In medicine, when you go see a physician, it's assumed that they're well. They've gone through years of training, and so the bar is higher than the financial advising industry, certainly. So it's good to make sure that the person you're talking to is has some level of um, responsibility, or they, they've agreed to some level of responsibility, a fiduciary role, or uh, they're agreeing with the terms that these regulatory committees are setting. Another another good question to ask is, is the investment that's being offered to me registered? Typically, when you are offered an investment, you should be able to be provided a prospectus or disclosure documents stating that it's been filed with a regulatory body or that it's an official uh, investment It's not just something some guy's conjuring from his garage, you know, or he's, he's doing from his basement. And so you, you can ask, that's, a, that's an important thing to ask is, am, is there a way for me to research the details of this investment? Has it been, you know, registered with some regulatory committee? Um, another question, and this is an important concept, is how do the risks of the investment compare with the rewards of the, the investments? What, what, what does that comparison mean? Like I mentioned earlier, there's risk to every investment, and there's different levels of rewards, right? So the more risky investment, you'd expect to have higher levels of reward, and, and in our industry, we consider reward a financial return. Yeah. And so um, a, a promissory note would have a lower uh, level of return because it typically will have less risk associated with it if you're buying uh, common stock of a startup business, there's going to be a high level of risk because there's um, there's no collateral or recourse. So those those in investing, the risk and return are directly related. Yeah, yeah. Uh, another question to ask is how liquid is the investment? And what that means is how easily can I get my money if I need it? You know, it's not uncommon uh, for even good, you know registered uh, legitimate investments to tie your money up for a time period um, but you know if, if maybe going into the investment the answer is oh we can't give you a timeline on when you might get your money back that might be a red flag right saying well I don't know when I'll get it back or if I'll get it back um, investments that tie up your money for extended long periods of time could maybe raise some red flags could cause you to say, I don't know if this is something I want to get into because I don't know what 
next year, the year after has in store for me financially, I might need access to that money. The only reason we invest is to spend the money at some point in the future, right? Yeah. Like whether that spending means we ourselves live on that money or we hope to donate that uh, money to a charity or we hope to let our kids inherit that money. Ultimately, you hope that every investment pays you back at some point so that it can be used for your purposes. Yeah. And so especially like you mentioned with investments that have a long tie-up period, uh, you need to make sure that aligns with what your goals are. You don't want to have something that's locked up for 15 years that you actually wanted to spend in five. Yeah, yeah. Another good question to ask, do you understand the investment? And I, I think, and I want to hear your thoughts, but you don't have to go into the investment, I guess, having a, an understanding of every facet of the whole investment structure as much as do you understand the basics of how what's happening, you know, how you'll get your money back, the concept of what's happening in the business. Um, you know, you don't necessarily have to go and get a, a master's degree to under, to say I, I need to be qualified as an investor, but I think you do need to have a level of understanding of what you're investing in. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, we all have some accountability, and, and each investor needs to be able to be responsible and aware of what they're investing in. Yeah. And I guess that our last question is kind of the age-old question. Does it seem too good to be true? Oftentimes we, we get people who say, hey, I, I got an email, a random email, or someone's approaching me with this, this idea that just seems amazing. And they begin dealing with the, the struggle, internal struggle of, well, if I don't invest in this and it turns out to be true, I'm going to miss out on a ton of money and I'm really going to be sorry I didn't. And this is where we often try to help people understand, like, is, is this too good to be true? Do we understand the ins and outs of how this is going to work? So I think this is a, just a universal concept with investing. You know, oftentimes if it's too good to be true, it is. Um, it, it's, it's something to steer away from. And great things are worth waiting for, right? Like no, no. if you don't fully understand the, con the product or the investment, don't do it. Just wait until you either understand it, and if you miss out on that opportunity, you can find another one that's similar. Um, so totally agree with you. We don't ever want to feel pressured or um, in a rush to make an investment decision. Yeah. Now, there's a couple different websites or resources that you can turn to as an investor to uh, research these types of things we've been discussing. Here in Utah, one good resource is the Utah Division of Securities. They have a website, and that website is securities.utah.gov. You can go to their webpage, and uh, they do a good job educating you on different types of fraud, um, how to recognize it, types of questions to ask, and um, you know if you do come across fraud, how to report it. You know, what's the proper means to make sure it's taken care of, I guess. Another one is... Um Broker check. It's an easy one to use. You can just Google broker check online, and uh, you'll be able to find names of individuals that are registered or licensed. And you can see on there if there's any disclosure information. So if someone has a complaint or a um, uh, item that needs to be disclosed on their record, it will be listed there. Yeah. One other resource is you know talk to your advisor at UMA Financial. You know th this might seem basic, but we we get clients all the time who come to us with these sorts of ideas, right? Saying, 
hey, I know someone who's proposing this. What do you think? And here at UMA Financial, we like to think that we can provide a, an unbiased third-party opinion on how people should manage their money, right? And so you know, we, we encourage any listener or those who, are, um, who have interest to re- reach out and uh, we can talk through these types of inv- investments that maybe you have questions about. Um, but hopefully we can help s- spot or uh, identify fraudulent situations and help steer you towards better situations. Yeah. Eric, thank you for, for jumping on. And um, You bet. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, please reach out to us if you have questions. We'd love to, to help you steer clear of any, uh, anything that wouldn't be good for your financial health. Yeah. Great. We'll do it again. Thank you.